0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Genesis, where this week we'll be taking a look at Genesis chapters 4 and 5. My name is Jonathan Chen and I'm so glad that you can join us today as we embark in another episode of Genesis. But before we begin, let's start off with a video clip and we'll be right back. But with this new video camera, we can make our own entertainment. Now boys, we're going to film the world's first and, some would say, best murder mystery, the story of Cain and Abel. Daddy, if Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's only children, how did they make more babies? Did they make babies with their mother or with each other? Your mouth is hoping for a soaping boy. Now stop asking silly questions and go kill your brother. Boys, I just talked to God. He's vacuuming heaven to get it ready for when dead people show up, and he'd like you both to render a sacrifice. I shall sacrifice my finest grains and livestock. Behold, I have found favor with the Lord. So shall I not find favor with thy belly. <laughs> Bury my son while you wander the earth forever with the mark of evil upon your face. Well, welcome back again. Like I said earlier, we are now embarking on another episode of Genesis with chapters 4 and 5. The aftermath when humanity decided to go off on their own and decided for themselves what was good for. Then, instead of trusting God having their best interests, humanity turned and doubted God's ability and wanted to know what was good and evil for themselves within their limited capacities. By doing so, they broke the covenant with God, the promise they made with God, i.e., trust and obey God, which equals life, or disobey God, which equals death. Now, if we were reading this back in the time when the Israelites were wandering in the desert after Exodus, we would have known the custom of covenant-making and covenant-breaking. Here's what I mean. In the ancient Near East, when one party breaks a covenant, the agreed punishment needs to be executed, especially with a covenant made to a deity. The agreed punishment in this case, with God, was death. But here's the problem. Humanity didn't cease to exist after Adam and Eve sinned. Adam and Eve were still alive. Instead of eliminating humanity and have them go extinct like the dinosaurs, God, by His grace and mercy, gave humanity a chance to repent, which they didn't. He clothed humanity's shame through blood sacrifice of an animal which distorted the relationship between humanity and creation, and moved them away from the garden. Because if you recall, the garden was to be holy and kept holy. It's like God removed humanity as quickly as possible before the antibodies came in to do their job. And here's the question. If you were the reader, how long can God wait? How much grace mercy and love does God have until the covenant needs to be fulfilled, i.e. humanity's permanent demise? Because if he doesn't, if God doesn't fulfill this covenant, can you and I still trust God's word? Here's what I mean, and I'll use myself as an example. In parenting, when we are disciplining our children, we are advised never to use threats that we cannot follow through. For example, you know, you're flying on a plane uh, with your kids, heading off to a vacation destination, something that we cannot do right now during COVID. But anyways, they're fighting. The kids are, start- are fighting and they're creating a ruckus. Would you use this threat? Quote, if you don't stop fighting, we will turn around and head home. Would you really tell your children that? Because think about it. Would you tell the pilot of the plane to turn around and head back? Because if you can't follow through with your threat or covenant with your children, then your children will not trust a word you say in the future, whether it be future threats or even future promises or even future words of encouragement. Well done, son. I'm proud of you. Really, dad? Because I don't really trust your word anymore. So the lingering question after chapter three is this. Can God's words be trusted? Because it seems like he didn't follow through. Or is God really, really, really patient and he's prolonging the fulfillment of the covenant? I.e., prolonging humanity's debt to the covenant, which is their permanent demise. So, in this episode, we will see that the author, after experiencing God's patient love for himself through the wandering in the desert, and God's patient love with Israel even when they whined and complained and made a golden calf for themselves to worship, the author realized that unlike other gods that he was taught, and other cosmology stories of the ancient Near East, where gods do not show any grace, mercy, love, or patience, this God, the one true God, the one he experienced, Yahweh, is a very patient God because he loves humanity so much and will fulfill his covenant in light of his love for humanity. Now, the author doesn't know how God will fulfill this covenant, but there are two things he can be, well, no, definitely, no, for sure. God has immense patience towards humanity. And two, he's doing something within humanity to fulfill this original covenant. So let's dive into chapter four, the story of Cain and Abel to expand on this. Starting with verse one, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, quote, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man, end quote. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. If you were the reader back in the time of the author, you would be asking yourself, wait, what? Why is God enabling humanity to still have the blessings from the covenant, i.e. multiply, multiply, and steward creation. They broke the promise, didn't they? Why is God still fulfilling his side of the covenant even though humanity didn't fulfill theirs, and yet still received the blessings and kept their roles? And to rub a little bit more confusion, Eve said that she brought forth a man, which means that God has also kept his side by giving humanity his image and the ability to procreate this image as if the whole Eden gate, never happened, as if the whole Adam and Eve taking that fruit and sinning and rebelling against God never happened. God, are you that patient and loving? Does your covenant mean nothing to you? That's what the author wants us, the reader, to ask. And he moves on by saying, but wait, there is more. You thought God was patient with Adam and Eve? Wait until you hear this. Let's move on to verse 3. Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. When humanity decided to determine what was good and evil, right and wrong for themselves, this is what happens. They don't agree with God's judgment and finds his judgment as unfair and becomes jealous because they want to be right. I'm sure many of us who are parents with two or more children can relate with this when you rightfully reward one and not the other, and then the other complains about being treated unfairly. Actually, not just parents, but also at work, right? When our boss promotes someone or recognizes someone else and we think we were wrongfully or unfairly snubbed, we get angry too. Why does my boss favor this person and not me? I am worthier of that pay raise than this person. I remember when I requested Santa for a water gun when I was little, very little. When Santa visited our church, by the way, not knowing that this Santa at church was a different person from the Santa in the mall, I didn't know that I was little. And when this Santa at church I gave a water gun to my friend, and I only got a pair of socks. I, being only 8 at the time, was cursing Santa for being unfair since I believed I was worthier for the water gun and not my friend. By the way, we are still friends. Good friends. When we don't trust God's judgment and see others being favored, rewarded, or blessed by things we want, we get angry with God instead of trusting and having faith in God's judgment. We doubt that God has our best interest, but God responds to us with patient love as he did with Cain. God responded to Cain with patient love, giving Cain a chance to respond the right way and trust God. God said, look Cain, don't let the anger consume you, but turn to me and seek wisdom from me to ask why I did what I did. Could it be that God had something better for Cain? Could it be that God loved Cain so much that he wanted to use this opportunity to teach Cain to be better, to repent of treating his offering as merely tokenism as opposed to reverently worshiping God like his brother Abel? The author again is telling his readers, look how loving God is, how patient he is. And the reader responds, wow, Cain should have been spanked, man. But instead, God loved him. Okay, Mr. Author, where are we going with this? And the author again says this. But wait, there's more. Here, let's start off with verse 8. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him will kill him. Mind you, this mark is probably not the same mark as Todd's mark in the uh, video that we just saw. Consumed with jealousy, believing that he was right and God was wrong, believing that he deserved better or actually even angry that God saw through his tokenism and fake worship, Regardless what the reason was for him to be angry, Cain allowed the anger to consume him to the point of murdering his brother Abel. And now, if you were the reader during that time of the author, you know the overall rule of thumb, right? An eye for an eye and tooth for the tooth. That's the ancient Near East rule of thumb. The reader expects God to execute punishment on Cain. So the question is, is Cain going to be the one human sacrifice that will fulfill the covenant in the beginning? Is God going to use Cain as the sacrifice? No. Even though Cain didn't repent or admit he was wrong, he didn't even admit that he was wrong to God. God spared him. Instead, God did exactly the same thing as he did with Cain's mom and dad. God removed him from his role, but did not leave Cain even though Cain assumed God will abandon him. God loved Cain so much that he provided protection over Cain. Say what? Who is this God? Who is this God who has so much patience and love for humanity? The author says, yeah, no kidding, right? But guess what? Wait, you mean to tell me there's more? Yeah. Verse 16. So Cain went down from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Meheuel, and Mehuel was the father of Methusel, and Methusel was the father of Lamech. And like Adam and Eve, God again allowed and enabled Cain, the unrepentant murderer, to procreate. And not just that, Cain ignores God and now names cities after his son, which means that God is not even in the picture anymore. Every reader in the author's time must be wondering, are you kidding me? What is God thinking? Why does he allow this to happen? Clearly Cain does not deserve to be able to do this. Ah, the author says, are we not being just like Cain? Let's go on. Verse 19, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played string instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Not only was Cain able to procreate, Cain's line became master of sciences, the master of arts, and metalwork. Which, for the reader of the ancient Near East, those are the most pivotal moments of ancient Near East history, such as the Bronze and Iron Age. So you must be asking, how can God continue to do his part in the covenant by blessing and enabling humanity to do all this, while humanity is not doing their part at all, i.e. trust and obey God. When is God going to fulfill the covenant and follow through with the debt that humanity has to pay? Because just to wrap things up with Cain's lineage, Lamech also killed someone out of revenge, and the song was a nasty one that he sung. God continues to enable and empower humanity to do good things, i.e. doing his part of the covenant, while humanity is clearly not doing theirs. When will God call it in and have humanity pay its debt? Because clearly humanity is not turning around here. Why is he allowing humanity to continue to exist? Can God have this much patient love? Will humanity ever turn around? Those are some of the questions the Israelites had when they screwed up so many times in the desert. So let's move on. Verse 25, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to his son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Oh, when Cain was born, Eve said that God helped her Bring forth a man. But now Eve changed what she said. And instead of God just merely playing a small role in enabling her to bring forth another child, she fully acknowledges that it is all God's doing. For God granted her another child. Interestingly, Bruce Walkie notes that the same that the name Enosh in Hebrew is for weakness. So there's a sign of hope with Seth's genealogy line, contrary to Cain's genealogy line. And to even further the contrast, the author tells us, the readers, that Seth's line worshiped God when he mentioned that the people in Seth's line began to call on the name of the Lord. So in weakness, they began to call on the name of the Lord. There's some hope here. Weakness is a posture of humility before God. All along, Humanity believed they knew better than God, but this time, with the birth of Seth and the naming of Enosh, there is hope that humanity may have a chance in repenting and humbly worship God. Seth's line provides us, the readers, hope that God has a plan to bring humanity around, that if humanity turns back to God, trust and obey God, humanity will be redeemed and returned to Shabbat in the presence of God, i.e., Full and eternal life. How do we know this? Well, within Seth's genealogy account in chapter 5, we get another Enoch and another Lamech. But unlike Cain's Enoch and Lamech, we have this, starting in verse 22. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And he was not, for God took him, my apologies. Is there a chance that humanity would turn back to God and experience life eternal? Yes, Enoch walked with God and never experienced physical death. This was a stark contrast to Cain's Enoch, where they took pride in building a city for themselves and completely ignored God. Throughout Seth's line, each generation called upon the name of the Lord in humility, whereas Cain's line Though they had the sciences, the arts, and all the tools, they were prideful and they thought they didn't need God. Even Cain's Lamech and Seth's Lamech were completely different. If you recall, Cain's Lamech said this. Verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. This Lamech, Cain's Lamech, was a prideful and vengeful Lamech that has no remorse or guilt in killing someone because he believed he was right. Whereas Seth's Lamech said this in verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from her work and from the painful toil of our hands. Seth's Lamech knew about why humanity had hardships and knew that God has been patient with humanity. This Lamech eagerly awaits God to receive humanity again and bring them back into the garden, into the presence of God. This Lamech was hopeful and desires God's presence to receive life transcendent that humanity discarded back in the garden. The author tells his readers and us, God had a plan all along to redeem humanity and bring them back. Now, the author doesn't really know how this this will all come about, but he definitely knew that through God's patient love and his provision, humanity has a chance of turning back to God and be in his presence again. God's patient love was about enacting his redemptive plan for humanity. And Christians today, like you and I, are now recipients of what resulted from the redemptive plan. How, you may ask? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 3's genealogy. I abbreviated a little bit just to get the major points. Starting in verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi. The son of Janai. The son of Joseph. The son of Canaan. The son of Arphaxad, The son of Shem. The son of Noah. The son of Laman. The son of Methuselah. The son of Enoch. The son of Jared. The son of Methalleleon. The son of Canaan. The son of Enos. The son of Seth. The son of Adam. The son of God. Jesus came from the line of Seth. God showed patient love to humanity because he was enacting his redemptive plan by granting Eve with another son, Seth. No matter how often humanity rejected God, God continues to act to give humanity a chance to turn back to him. That's truly amazing. And through his patient love, He gave his son, Jesus, to show his love to humanity, to pay the debt that humanity couldn't pay for breaking the original covenant. Yet, Jesus didn't remain dead. Amazingly, God resurrected him. And thereby, humanity has access to life eternal, life transcendent, life in the Garden of Eden again. The life this author was hoping and looking for. Through Jesus, we get Shabbat. So how about today? I'm sure many of us wonder how many sins can God forgive until he calls it in. Yet we have to remember that God's love is patient and abundant. We can always come to him in repentance, change our ways, and allow him again to be the lord of our lives. Through Jesus, we are able to come to God in confidence to repent and change. God also continues to love us even though we sometimes can't love him back. That's amazing. Even though we cannot love him back, God still loves us. And God will always provide, even though we may not do our part in putting our faith and trust and obedience in him. Now, do we take it for granted like Cain? No. In response of God's patient love, we need to take a posture like Seth's line, Seth's genealogy. What is that posture? in weakness, in humility, acknowledging and admitting our weakness, acknowledging that God is the only one who is sustaining us to be alive and to provide for us, and that He, only He, deserves all our worship. Only He deserves our all. Amen. Thank you all for joining me today for another episode of Genesis. We went through a long journey again, but I can't wait to again do another episode as we embark in Noah's Ark. So till next time, have a blessed week.